0: If the Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour
1: Welcome, everyone, back to your favorite podcast, the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Oh, my goodness, we are so excited to continue our series, um, Parables, and uh, my name is Keith Giles. I am one of your co-hosts. I'm the author of the Jesus Un series, including the most recently released Jesus Unforsaken, substituting divine wrath with unrelenting love. And I am joined by my co-hosts, uh, Katie, Derek, and Matt. Say hello.
0: Hello, I'm Katie Valentine and one of your uh, heretical co-hosts. I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, and Self-Control, which, fun fact, if you type that into Amazon, it will come up under the adult literature section. Ooh. I know, but it's in fact yeah. not as in fact scholarly. So uh, happy to be here. This is going to be fun. To, it is. It is a little ancient porn. Um, I do talk about ancient porn in the book, if that's the- for anyone. It just means porn. when you when you Google it, you have to work really hard and actually in order to be able to actually get to it. Hey, I'm excited about talking about our
2: parable of the day. Yep, buddy, and I am Derek Day. I'm the author of Deconstructing Religion, the host of The Forward Podcast, and the blogger of Love Minus Religion on Pathios. And I, too, am excited about this parable, because I like parables.
3: And I am Matthew DiStefano, and uh, I just want to remind everyone that we have a book together, all four of us, plus a bunch of other choir authors. I know a bunch of people are picking it up. There are a lot of great positive reviews. There is one not-so-positive review, Uh, so thank you to our friend who did that. Um, But it is called... Yeah, our our pal. It is called Before You Lose Your Mind, Deconstructing Bad Theology in the Church, and it is... Get this. This isn't a sales price. I'm not fucking with you. 99 cents on Kindle... And $9.99 in paperback, that is not the sales price. That is the price. So pick it up today. Don't listen to Powell. Uh, you can read his review, but, but don't listen to it. <laughs> listen to all the other ones. Pick it up. Judge for yourself. Read the book. And we would be uh, super stoked if you did.
2: Listen, if you get a paperback version, if you touch it, you can actually channel the spirits of your Heretic
3: Happy Hour hosts.
2: Allegedly.
0: Yeah. And I don't talk <laughs> about porn in my chapter, but I do talk about sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of good and, stuff. And,
3: and these results are not guaranteed. Just so That's everyone right. knows.
1: That's exactly oh, right. come on. Come on. <laughs> and if you do, by the way, if you do pick up the book, we would love uh, you to rate it and review it and write a review on, uh, on Amazon because it actually does help with the, the numbers and recommendations and all that stuff. So please do that. Thank you. Cool. And that means,
2: once again, it's time for the Heretic Happy Hour Hotline. So, if you want to get in touch with your favorite heretics, you can do so by dialing 240-343-7379. And we have a voicemail. Roll that tape.
4: Hi, this is Dave Miller, pastor in Northern California. I've called in once before. It's a great uh, question, that, or great answers that you guys gave for... For that question, I had another one, rather uh, an insight. I was listening to, I believe, the caller was Elena, talking about uh, the difference between loving by imitating Jesus and loving by imit by uh, like getting to know yourself. And what, was there a conflict in that? And I just wrapped up a sermon, uh, a couple of sermons that were about you know, Pentecost and Holy Trinity Sunday and those kind of things, talking about spirits and talking about the Holy Spirit as something that, um, I had not, not thought about this before, but the Holy Spirit as something that we are as the people left after the resurrection. As Jesus breathes on the disciples that they receive the Holy Spirit after his resurrection, would not we be then the Holy Spirit in person, in body, would not we be the Holy Spirit, in other words? And that's probably going to be some heresy right there. That's okay. Uh, I hear this is the place to have heresy. But I also pushed back a little bit and thought, well, yeah, it's not to say that we own the Holy Spirit or that anyone owns the Holy Spirit because Christ breathes it on them, but that the Holy Spirit owns us now. The Holy Spirit owns you, owns me. We are. We are claims by that Spirit. And so the act of imitating Jesus, the act of listening to yourself and loving yourself, those are both-and kind of situations with the Spirit. I know I'm taking up a lot of time. I did not mean to make this a longer call, but I just wanted to gauge your thoughts on a little heretical sermon moment that I had with our people up here in Northern California, that we're thinking about the Trinity in a new way, that the Holy Spirit is something, some entity of God that owns us and claims us. And so now whatever you do to your body, to your spirit, to, to others, you're doing it to the Holy Spirit. You're doing it of and with yourself. Uh, I just appreciate you guys a lot. Thank you so much. Um, shout out to Katie Valentine and the PLTS and the GTU.
0: Hey, some Holy Hill solidarity. That's what we, uh, that's what we call that collection of seminaries in grad school where uh, Dave and I—I I think we probably overlapped there, but never actually knew each other. Um, I think that's an interesting question. What do you, what do, what do we think?
1: <laughs> well, uh, I'll just say quickly. Um, as he was talking, he was sparking something that I had come up a few years ago in my mind about the idea of like. Christians being possessed, because you use that, thing, that terminology that we're owned by the Spirit. I'm not really comfortable with that we're owned by it, because it feels kind of weird to me. But it, it sparked the idea of, like, that we are sort of possessed by the Holy Spirit. Like, so in other words, we are, there's like sort of this possession, but it's not demonic possession. It's the Spirit of God possession. Like, the Spirit of God is is in everyone. And so if that is sort of the assumption it's, it's similar to the idea of saying that we're all the incarnation of Christ and that we're all also filled with the holy spirit and if so then yes if that's what you mean by that i guess i could see that uh i could see that way of thinking um so i guess that's all i can say about that Um, I'm similarly allergic to being owned
0: um, that, that language and uh, it's making it a little hard for me to engage the question, but I'm finding the question really interesting being infused with maybe I I can kind of get behind a little bit Um, the, yeah, but like being, being owned, but I would say this, I don't know if this is true for all of you, but um, it also, I, I see the radicalness of this. Like we're all inhabited by the spirit of Christ um, I don't think this is necessarily dependent on Trinitarian theology and my, my own tradition doesn't require like Trinitarian confession. Um, so I'm not, I don't know that I am a Trinitarian, but this, the Spirit of God has been alive and well in the world since before Jesus, with Jesus and after Jesus as well. I think where this, that feels a little gritty to me is this idea that like that kind of old, illustration that that's been used especially for youth groups like if you sin then your your soul has a little bit of a stain on it and you're you're actually like your body is your temple and anything that you do can be harmful like it could go in that direction that's not what i sense dave was said that that you were saying at all but rather this kind of radical idea that the spirit inhabits all of us um so i'm very in a very non-clear kind of way wrestling with the idea without a without a firm conclusion here
3: yeah i I think I the some of the language that was used was was a little off for me in terms of just the way I would see uh, speak or, or think of things. But I, I do sense that like for me there's no point in like parsing out what is Matt and what is the Holy Spirit. Like if if I just see us all as part of God and God as as part of everything. Like I'm I'm more panentheist than anything. So how it works out in terms of, can I say I am the Holy Spirit? No, I don't use that language. But can I splice it up and remove Matt away from the Holy Spirit? I I don't think in those terms either. So it's kind of like this, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's non-duality. I don't know if it's like just um, incarnation. I I have no idea, but I, I, I like where Dave's going with it. But like you guys, uh, the, the owning kind of language is is not really. It's not really in my lexicon.
2: Now I'm gonna do something that the rest of y'all might not do because it, I go full apostate because I always go full <laughs> apostate. Uh, Dave, I agree with you about being the Holy Spirit because I'm right. at, I am God. Right. That's where I am. That now that's not where I land. It just happens to be my point on the journey. But that's it. What I don't agree with is the whole ownership part, because I am no slave to anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: And that's yeah, all that I got to say
2: that. about that. Yeah.
3: But great, great question, yeah. Dave. So. Question.
0: I'm enjoying the question, and I, I'm enjoying the kind of think like thinking of being claimed by. Even that has a little bit of that kind of connotation to me. But
1: yeah, yeah. So I think I think we could all agree, right? that it's an interesting idea. We're kind of going with him. It's really, I think we're all getting kind of hung up on the own by part. Yeah. It does feel like it's, it's the same thing when somebody uses that phrase about like how God uses you. Yeah. Like I, no, God doesn't use people. Like I, I like it more the collaboration idea or we're partnering together. And, you know, so yeah, the infused, that's a good idea. That's a good word.
2: Now I, I, like I gotta it. get, I gotta get real nerdy for a second because okay. I want to know what kind of car Dave was driving because he was in a car. But okay, he it's probably, was, He was in an electric car,
1: and you know how
2: I'm almost certain of it. Either that, or he's driving a very expensive luxury car. Why? Because I could hear road noise and wind noise, but no engine or gear noise.
1: Wow. I was going to say I thought it was a 1975 Pinto. No, nope, nope. finally, Tesla ear. or something. Yeah.
3: Yes. Well, he's, he, he is making that pastor money, so he might be in a Tesla. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Big
0: money. <laughs> I was going to say also, like, just kudos to the group of people, to the congregation that were talking about this, that were willing to take this idea on. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's really cool. I, uh, nice shout out to the congregation uh, or yeah. whoever, whatever the group of people was that was talking about this. That's awesome. Well, what do y'all think? Is it time to go to our Heretic of the Week and get this fabulous, fabulous knowledge drop?
2: It's the heretic of the
4: week.
5: Hi, I'm Gabe, and some people
3: definitely think I'm a heretic. Hi, Gabe. <laughs> well, welcome, Gabe. I think everyone, maybe minus one guest, has said that. So you are in good company. First thing we like to ask our fellow heretics, is why, why would people consider you a heretic?
5: Well, I think there's a whole host of reasons, but we only have time for a few. So, um, I'll just stick with the main one, I think, um, and that is that I do not believe the Bible is the
3: Word of God. Oh, that's pretty tame. Come on. <laughs> none, tame. Of us, none of us here do.
5: Yeah, I, 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 I know, but... It's not tame if you're in a fundamentalist coffee shop, which I am right now. So, oh, well, if, any, so, so, if, so if speak, anyone heard speak that, quiet,
3: speak quietly and right into the microphone. Yeah, yeah. please. yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, really. So, um, how how has that um, how has that gotten you into trouble and and why don't you think that? Why what led you to to believe that or you know why have you come to that conclusion?
5: Yeah, well, uh, my journey began. Um, so, I was just give you a brief brief synopsis. Uh, I'm originally from Washington state and uh, my grandparents were assembly of God missionaries. So that was the first part of my childhood. I ended up becoming Southern Baptist, which I know you also come from that background, Keith, and Mm -hmm. went to a Southern Baptist college. So I I definitely grew up with the view that the Bible was the inerrant word of God. But uh, into college, um, I remember, I was an anthropology major and a church planting major and through, you know, college education, I ended up just uh, thinking through some things, and and I started to uh, read the Bible in a new light. I remember reading uh, Acts 17. I think it's chapter, verse, Acts 17, verse 11, where it talks about, uh, Paul was speaking the word of God and the Bereans accepted it more readily than the, the Thessalonicans, and then they compared it to the scriptures. So I remember reading that and realizing that Luke or whoever wrote Acts was not, uh, using those two words synonymously. I kept reading the New Testament and started to read the church fathers and, um, eventually came to the, uh, conclusion that that was, um, Um, if I may say, was a heretical viewpoint to suggest Mm -hmm. that the Bible is the word of God. Some of the ways it got me in trouble, I remember when I was, I think this was after I graduated college, after I got kicked out of a Southern Baptist church in Seattle, I moved back to uh, Oklahoma where I went to college because my, at the time, fiance was there. And um, there was a particular student there who did not like me and was spreading the rumor that I was a Marcionite um, which yeah, yeah. I, I'm not, I don't believe in Martians or any sort of alien, <laughs> but I, I, don't know what he's I totally <laughs> stole that from Peter ends. But, um, and so, yeah, so that kind of got me in trouble. I remember a couple of students came up to one of our professors and were like, Hey, did you hear, see this article that this guy wrote? Uh, he doesn't believe the Bible's a word of God. And I remember actually talking to that professor and he just kind of shook his head and was like, yeah, they don't know what they're
1: talking about. So. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, that whole Martianite thing, man, that just seems to be the automatic. It's either that or, or you're a Gnostic. Those are the two automatic. You know, oh, you don't believe what I believe. You're you're a Gnostic or you're a Martianite. Um, yeah, it just seems kind of silly because you know, to be a Martianite, you would have to believe that the Old Testament was written by Satan or something, right, or some lesser god. And there's um,
3: only there's only two ten New Testament scriptures that. Um... 10, 10 New Testament books that are canon, I think, if I remember correctly. Or is yeah, that origin? He,
5: he rejected, um, I think he rejected Matthew and Mark. Matthew seemed too Jewish to him. I think he mm-hmm. had an edited version of Luke, and then he had some of Paul's letters. And
3: yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. but you know what? If um, If it wasn't for Martian, we probably, the whole concept of canon, I mean, as far as we know, he's the first guy to kind of come up with sort of a a list, right? Yeah, This is yeah. the official list. These books are good. These books are acceptable and these others are not. So, you know, even if you don't agree with his list, it, he kind of set that in motion, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, maybe Martian's bad mostly because of that.
5: <laughs> well, well, well. to be fair, the, there is no such thing as a canon when it comes to the yeah. Bible. Yeah. So <laughs> it wasn't until 367 that we get the first, you know, list of our 27 books, No More No Less, by uh, Athanasius, who was a bishop of Alexandria. And it's not until 397 that that list is picked up by a local council in North Africa and said, hey, let's make these our, our, our only New Testament scriptures. And that wasn't an ecumenical council, so it was never accepted. And then, you know, today, we Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestants all have different canons. So there's never been a council, to my knowledge, that has said, hey, these are the uh, the book's that are well, in our and, canon.
3: and 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 goodness gracious, like Luther didn't want to keep certain books in there. And he's like, you know, the darling of Protestantism. And so I, I think that the takeaway is people don't know what they're talking about, like your professor said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. And I see that's that's kind of like when people and I've heard Christians who do believe that the Bible is the word of God and it's inerrant and infallible. and There are no contradictions. There's no mistakes and all that. And then, then they'll say things like, you know, God. God protected his canon. He he made sure that all those books, you know, ended up in the right place in, in all gathered together and all that. And I'm like, when they, so when they say things like that, I'm like that God protected the canon, you know, and made, made sure it came together. It's which one? Because there's like, what, five or six different ones, as you mentioned. There's several different canons depending on sort of which stream you're in. There, there isn't so there isn't one. That's the point, right? That the point is there. Even with these attempts to create some sort of official Christian collection, you know, you still have different Christians and Christian streams saying, "Well, no, we accept these, and we, and we, you know, we we put these in, and, and we reject these other ones."
5: Yeah, it wasn't. And John an Eastern Orthodox priest and scholar, has pointed out that uh, another scholar, I I can't remember the name of the person, but it wasn't until the 17th or 16th century that someone applied the term canon to the Bible. Before then, it was applied to the rule of faith. Um, So, even even that's not historically (laughs) plausible.
4: Yeah.
1: So, uh, Gabe, I'm curious. So... um, you kind of made that switch, right? You say, okay, the word of God is not the Bible. So what is the word of God? What would you say the word of God is?
5: Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If you've ever heard that song by Trip Lee, if you were ever into Christian rap, I love that line. I hate the song in general, but I really love that line. Um, he's like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I, I can't rap. so but that's <laughs> you, But you're a hip hop artist, right, Matthew? So you could probably do that.
3: Yeah, yeah. I don't know that. Um, I never got into Christian anything, so I've heard the name Tripoli, but I, I have, outside of him and like Lecrae, I don't know any Christian hip-hop. Yeah,
5: but you can, you, can you could probably
3: that? do the, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm sure I yeah, can. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Make you do that. But- <laughs> thank you, thank you.
5: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so um, uh, I, I really like what Brad Jersak says about this. He says, I, I believe in the inerrant and word of God, and when he was 18, he grew a beard. Um, so, you know, I remember, um, I, that, that same scholar, John Bear, um, I had an email, uh, I don't know if that's confidential, but I don't think it is. I had an email exchange with him and I asked him a question, um, because I partially, because I wanted affirmation for myself. I said, in the new Testament and in the patristic period, do any of them use the title word of God to describe, uh, to describe the Bible? And he says, um, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but he basically said only very, 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 very rarely mm-hmm. it, the title "the Word of God" is exclusively used of Christ, and it, it, the Scriptures witness to Him. And yeah. so, you know, reading the the Church Fathers, um, I, I did uh, my thesis that I just turned in. Uh, a few days ago on origin, the church father and reading his, his text, when he says the word of God, it is very clear that, um, that he is speaking exclusively about Jesus. When you read, uh, Irenaeus, it's the same thing. When you read Augustine, it's the same thing. When you read all these different church fathers to, um, uh, Ignatius of Antioch and, um, uh, you know, there's a hundred, we could keep going, Hippocles of Rome. All of them, when they talk about Jesus, they talk about Jesus as the word of God. And when they talk about scriptures, it's never as the word of God. So,
1: mm-hmm. so um, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here and ask you a question uh, that that I've I've gotten often on this same conversation. is sort of like, well, so what difference does it make? I mean, what's the big deal? Why do we make a big deal about this, whether it's the Bible or the word of God? Uh, because
5: if it is the word of God, if the Bible is the word of God, let me, let me say it this way. Whatever the word of God is, because a person's word can never be separated from the person who spoke it, whatever we apply the title word of God has to ontologically be God. So if we're saying the Bible is the word of God, then we're saying that the Bible Is God.
1: And that kind of is the way. So, yeah, I I agree. And I think that the Christians who do uh, equate the Bible with the word of God, absolutely connect those dots in their mind. And you can tell by the way they talk about the Bible, like the Bible gets deified, the Bible gets put in this place where um, I think that's probably how I first noticed it. Actually, I would just see Christians you know, writing things or the way they would speak about and they would use this phrase, the word of God. And and when they did that when they did, it was obvious they meant the Bible. Um, but they would make claims about the Bible or the Word of God, but they mean the Bible. <laughs> they mean the book that we wrote. Uh, and they would equate, they would give it the same sort of stature and and ability that they that should be applied to Jesus, right? Just things like the Bible will change your life, the Bible, you know, will do all the like things that would be true and accurate if you put Jesus in there. Yeah. But but they've switched it now, and it's the Bible all of a sudden. And it becomes, yeah, it becomes a problem. The
5: first part of my thesis was actually about the fundamentalist perspective on on the Bible. And so I went through lots and lots of documents written by fundamentalists within the last hundred years um, describing the Bible. And John MacArthur um, for instance, he and he's not the first one to say this, and he's not the only one. There's lots of fundamentalists that say something essentially of this. But he said in his book that the scriptures and when in the scripture when it talks about scripture, it uses that synonymously with God. Yeah. So it's it's very explicit, um, and I don't know. It boggles my mind of how um, people don't make that connection.
3: So, so you, you've mentioned your thesis, but I know you have a book coming out. Is this stuff that you get into in your book? Um, and tell, tell our, tell our listeners, tell myself, cause I, forgive me. I don't, I don't know what your book's about. So is this, um, is this a part of your book? Do you talk about how, how you view the Bible or is it more about your story about wrestling with the Bible or, or what's going on there?
5: Yeah. So, um, luckily my thesis and and parts of my book overlapped. So I've been getting to think about this stuff a lot in the last year or two. Um, but my, my book is essentially, um, I think you guys have had Thomas J. Ord on the podcast. It's funny that I use the word essentially, because it is essentially a doctrine of inspiration built off of Tom Ord's, um, a theology of Essential kenosis or God Can't Theology. And yeah. so I start off the book by uh, chapter one is uh, addressing six problems within popular notions of inspiration. So I talk about inerrancy as a problem. I talk about the problem of evil um, as a problem for m- m- popular notions of inspiration, um, the generality of inspiration and how it was used in the early church, the word of God, um, that's a big one. And I have lists of, uh, uh, of church fathers that I'm quoting uh, to show that when they speak of the word of God, they speak of, of Christ. And um, and then so through, through, through the rest of the book, I end up introducing essential kenosis or uh, more popularly known as God Can't Theology, explaining kind of what that is and, um, and then I connect that and, and essentially argue that the implications of that are, and I'm giving a brief, really brief overview, but the, the uh, implications of that, if God is uncontrolled in love and cannot control creatures, then what that means for inspiration is that you have a divine revelation, uh, which is Christ, and that... D- the scriptures are a human response a free human response to that divine revelation and so what's produced as scripture um is is not it's a shadow of the divine it's not divine revelation in and of itself and so that's kind of um i get a lot more into the book um
3: and and kind of go from
5: there but that's a a really basic overview what the book is about
3: well cool. What um what is the title of the book and when can folks expect it? And uh in the meantime, maybe get a hold of you. You mentioned a blog, so plug away, my friend.
5: Yeah, so uh I love a shameless plug. So you can check me out at uh you can find me on Facebook, it's Gabriel Gordon. I'm my profile pick is the two beautiful men in suits. And you can also find me on the misfitstheology.com. Uh, That's our, an ecumenical blog I run. Uh, it's a blog dedicated to seeking unity in the church. So we have fundamentalists on there. We have broader evangelicals. We have mainline progressive Protestants, uh, Eastern Orthodox, and Roman Catholics. And so you can find me there. Um, you can also, if you really want to get a hold of me, you can email me. Um, I don't know what I think about giving out my email, but I'm going to do it this one time. Um, <clears throat> it's. Uh, I'm going to give you my older email that I don't check very much, but samuelwalters Samuel. 405 at gmail.com. That was an alias that I used to blog under in college. So that's why it's samuelwalters 405 at gmail.com. But the name of the book is God Speaks. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's the name of the book. It's coming out. It's supposed to come out June 1st. So hopefully this, uh, I think this episode might come out around then. Um, who knows? Who knows? Only oh, yeah. God knows. Or you if you're know. no, well, or yeah. if you're an
3: open theist, you know, God, God doesn't, doesn't know. know. And God. that might be, you know, with the heretic cappi, open theism might be true because I don't even think God knows what the hell's going <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <here. laughs>
5: well, you might be an open theist. You know, what's that redneck? You might be a redneck. If, um, yeah. and uh, it'll be with uh, Choir Publishing. So. Oh. oh yeah,
1: and you know, Gabe, I'm so glad you're in the Choir family. Um, Uh, and we didn't talk about this at the beginning or anything, but um, I've known you for a little while. I've been on, I've been a guest on your podcast a couple of times. We've had several conversations and man, I've always just been very blessed to talk to you. Um, In fact, every time I talk to you, I think I should talk to this guy more often. I really, it's very inspiring. It kind of gets me thinking. Um, I really, really love it. Love talking to you. Looking forward to the book. And um, yeah, man, thank you so much for your time and I hope the book goes very, very well.
5: Yeah, well, I'm honored, and I will say um, there there are things in the book that I definitely picked up from reading your book. So, um, so it's it's the feeling it's mutual. So,
3: all right, let's let's end this bromance. All right, <laughs> all right you too. Well, th- thanks for coming on. It's been it's been a it's been a blast. Thanks, thanks Matt. Matthew. I, I love being the heretic of the week. Yes, who doesn't?
1: Wow, thank you, Gabe. Uh, I love Gabriel Gordon. Um, I, I really I had a chance to talk to him a couple of times in the past. He's just a really inspiring guy. And I, I'm, I'm glad that there are younger people like Gabe out there that are as smart as he is and as just interesting as he is. Um, it gives me hope for the future. I, I wish, I hope there's a whole lot more people just like uh, Gabriel out there.
3: Uh, there's got to be one or two.
1: At least a couple.
3: Well, yeah, at least a couple.
1: I just don't want this to turn into like an old, you know, I mean, I'm an old man and you know that. But it's like, hey, I, hey, I, hey, hey. hey. Hey, it, we even um, got a
3: soundbite for you, dude. Yeah,
1: I know that. But <laughs> you're, you're, you're younger than me. But, you know, like, I, I, it's weird because, like, I I hear sometimes people talking about sort of the deconstruction movement, and we'll talk about how it's, like, this younger generation. And honestly, I'm looking for the more of the younger generation, because actually most of what I see is guys my age and older who are deconstructing. And I know there are younger people also, but I, I actually feel like it probably isn't as many young people, because I think a lot of young people are kind of allergic to some of the stuff that older people kind of grew up with. Like younger people are kind of like, no, I don't, God's not a monster and God doesn't burn people. And you know, they're, they're much more, they're much more open-minded already. And so anyway, I, I'm just excited when I see younger people kind of championing some ideas, the way Gabriel, I think mean, someone like Matthew Corbman's another one. Um, really. When I see those guys and hear those guys talking, I'll get really excited for the future.
3: Yeah. And I get really excited for this parable. We uh we ran out of parables to pick, so we 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 kind of agreed <laughs> that there are a couple more that we had to talk about. This
0: is a collaborative.
3: This is a collaborative effort, yes. So it's from uh it's from Matthew twenty two. So kiddos, if you have your Bibles, open them up. Turn yes, turn uh, Matthew's
0: the first gospel in the New Testament. This is my Bible. Just in case
2: you need to know. I am what it says that I am. I can do what it says that I can do. And
1: today I will be taught the uncontested, indisputable, and unrefutable word of God. Hey, did you guys ever, when you guys were kids, did you ever have to learn a little song to remember the order of the books of the Bible?
3: No.
0: True story. Vacation Bible School. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. But I could only go to the first like 3 days and so I missed the whole
1: New Testament, oh. but I can still sing the song up through like Ruth. Now listen, I I remember the song and honestly to this day when I'm looking for something I I start singing the song in my head like to figure out what goes where, you know. And so yeah, there's a song for the Old Testament and there's one for the New Testament like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts and Epistle of the Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians and Ephesians. Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus and Philemon. yeah. Anyway, I, I just memorized that whole song and that's how I find things in the Bible. So there you go.
3: I use Google.
1: You can also use the index. Oh. It works. Is there an index? I never, I never looked that up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I that use a, Or table of contents. <laughs> There's a table of contents. Oh, that just sounds too hard though. The song is, is much easier.
3: Yes, memorizing that cornball song is much easier.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Anyway, we're in
4: anyway. Matthew 22,
1: everyone, Matthew 22. So what is this yeah. parable? Uh, we, and actually, we we picked this one, I think, because um, was it you, Matt? I think you had mentioned there was like a really interesting take on this parable that I had never heard before. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we've got to do this.
4: Uh, well, so-
3: yeah, this is this is the parable about the, it's the wedding banquet. People who argue it's one of those ones where people argue for hell. They, they go to this because... Um, Let's see the guy the guy who shows up to the wedding doesn't have the wedding clothes so eventually he gets kicked out into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth and so people typically Christians will look at this as as kind of a it's a parable they they find this one to one correspondence between the king and God and right. God in this parable is kind of an asshole a bit of a tyrant But this interesting. There's a there's an essay I came across from Marty Aiken. He's a Girardian scholar, and he has a different take where the king is. It's not seen as God. It's seen as Herod or a king like Herod. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the, um, you know, the 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 kings in the parables in Matthew's gospel are not viewed very favorably. Um, So it kind of fits within that. That understanding of of uh, of kings that are not viewed favor- favorably, and and the the twist on this thing is that Jesus is the one who's kicked out into the outer darkness, and and it kind of has the same motif as the the suffering servant from from Second Isaiah. Um, you know, we we uh, we have this picture of of someone who is uh, like. Grotesque beyond imagination, right? and and he's rejected. and the Calvinists read penal substitution back into isaiah fifty two and fifty three and it, it pleased God to punish him and all this kind of stuff. Right. So we have this figure who's who's thrown out into the outer darkness. and and I uh, Marty Aiken's interpretation is that that's a picture of Jesus. So we're not seeing like the traditional quote unquote, way of God throwing people out of the wedding banquet. Um, and that means people go to hell. It's really the king, either Herod or someone like Herod, throwing Jesus out of um, of the wedding banquet. So it's kind of this flip of, of an interpretive method. And so I thought that was so interesting that maybe we should talk about it.
1: Yeah, so, and, and you know what, going back to look at the parable with that new lens of that, hey, maybe that is what's happening. Like I notice um, at the beginning of the parable, Jesus starts the parable by saying, the kingdom of the heavens has been likened to a man, a king. So he starts off by emphasizing that this is about a man and then says it's a king, which in, which you could take to mean he's trying to say the king isn't God, the king is a man um, who has this wedding celebration. And then as you, as you pointed out, um, all these people are invited to the banquet and then the king shows up, but he notices that there's a man sitting there Uh, at the table, who is not dressed in the proper wedding garments. And he says, how did you enter without a wedding garment? And then it says, the man was speechless, right? And I think this is one of the other arguments too, right? The fact that Jesus says nothing, the fact that Jesus was speechless, kind of goes back again to this Isaiah passage of how, you know, like a sheep before his shearers is dumb. Or, yeah. you know, how the gospel, the other, other gospels emphasize how Jesus at his trial spoke, didn't respond. He said nothing. Right. And, and right. how, so there, there's a correlation right there to that man being kicked out as being Jesus also. And I really, and also the fact that he's cast out, right? And so Jesus was crucified outside the city, right? He wasn't crucified inside the city. He was outside the city. So there, there are several parallels. I mean, I think there's actually, it's really fascinating to me. Like if, if, that is what it's about it actually kind of fits and it really does turn the whole thing on its head in a very interesting way i just i love that perspective
2: one of the things that's always troubled me about this passage is that the king sends out the invitations and everybody shows up and this guy shows up now could it be that he didn't have a wedding garment could it be that you know that he was poor that he was disenfranchised whatever could it be and and so why then would he be cast out, even though he did his best to be there? Yeah, that's one thing that always troubled me about this one.
1: yeah, and I agree with you. I see I, I think again, this is one of the reasons why this perspective is so fascinating because to be honest, it is a t- kind of troubling. If you read it as, okay, Jesus saying, this is what God the Father is like he''s a He's a, he's a king. Who is going to cast somebody out? Who's poor? Who can't afford the right wedding garment? Who doesn't play by the rules? Who's looking for an excuse to disqualify you and throw you out? who will bind you and torture you and throw you out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it just feels so inconsistent with everything else Jesus says about who the Father is and what God is like that yep. it's very troubling. And so, so, so I really I kind of I'm, I'm warming up to this idea of like, yeah, maybe this is not at all. Jesus is not talking about what God is like. He is. Maybe he is trying to talk about how Jesus is the one person who doesn't conform to what the king, and that would be Herod or even Caesar or you know Pilate or someone like that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't conform. He doesn't play by the rules. And because of that, he's cast outside the city and he's tortured and all this stuff. I, I kind of like that. I think um, I could live with that. Yep. So
0: one of the things we've been dancing around, I think, the whole parable series is what is a parable? Like, what is it? um and i've been um maybe not strongly but um like standing my stand, standing uh, firmly in the ground here that parables are not allegories um and that like way back especially like the prodigal son you know my most sort of uh, vicious my my most viciously disliked parable <laughs> there um but like i don't like seeing god as the father in that particular parable, I don't like seeing God as the king in this one. So yeah, it's about something else. Um, then, so if we can get sort of away from that idea that a parable is an allegory um, a direct allegory, like where everyone stands one for one, I think, I think that opens up to the richness. So Matt, I really appreciate this perspective um, as well. And I, um, I have the best story ever from when this, parable came up and I was doing a children's moment a few years ago, like the children's sermon. So I was focusing on, we invite all of our, we we invite everyone to come, everyone is welcome. You know, that part of the, of the parable, we go out into the town. So I sent that was like, every child was invited to go to the congregation and bring someone up um, as if to the party. And of course, you know, every church has the kid. And so the kid, (laughs) got really excited about this. And he went in front of the whole congregation. He was like, y'all, come on. It's a party. It's a party. Come to the wedding. And he brought like 30 people up to the front of the church, including all these visitors. But it was just this moment (laughs) of pure joy. I mean, he was like seven or eight. He just got totally into the idea that like everyone can be welcome at the wedding banquet. Wow. Um, that every that everyone's invited, and I mean, I, we just could have gone home for the day <laughs> after that. Like it, like it, t- so completely illustrated um, the welcome nature of God. Of course, this parable has a lot more that's complex in it mm-hmm. uh, as well. But I wanted to shout out. I'm not going to obviously mention him by name, but um, uh, just like the best, one of the best church moments ever that I had. Um, <laughs> but you know, part uh, this this parable. As well, something we haven't talked about is that there's a lot of violence, not only this eschatological violence at the end, but like there's people that get murdered, there's um, enslaved people
2: mm-hmm.
0: in this parable too. So there's all these assumptions about kind of um, social class in this parable that we often gloss over in favor of this like, you know, argument about heaven hell uh, that I find it, it, uh, it shakes me. I don't like this part of the parables we often see this kind of un- background violence in them. And I've, sometimes I have trouble looking past it to the other points of the parable.
2: Yeah. You know, what, one of the things that, um, I, I want to kind of dive into something in, on a tangent here, a little bit of etymology, parable, and parabolic, like hyper, uh, hyperbole and hyperbolic. And so when I think of um, a parable, I'm thinking of like a parabola, sort of like, you know, a geometric shape. And it's sort of like the long way around to a point. And, and so, so I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of throwing that out there because I I think that, you know, to Katie's point, not allegorical at all. It's just a long or a, um, a more the, the long way around explaining something. And that, so, so when I think of parables, that's what I think of. Right? Call me weird. I don't care. Yeah. No, I like it. What is this one explaining to you, Derek? Well, I think that again, I like Matt's explanation that this can't be God, right? That it has it has to be a man, and I think that this whole explanation is a long way or long tailed way of saying that hey, this is me in this context. That Jesus is saying he's using himself as the subject of this. He's the guy that doesn't show up in the right garment. He's the guy that gets cast out. And he's the guy that's out there with the wailing and the gnashing of teeth.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of times in these parables, it's like, to what should we compare the, uh, the kingdom to? Right. And we think there's a one-to-one correspondence. Well, this is like yeah. that but really I think often we need to say as much of this is also what it's not like. Mm -hmm. It's not like we're saying, Oh, this points to that. It's like, we need to think broader. We need to, we need to think like, like we've said many times, Katie's harped on this throughout the series. Like this is to shock us. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it doesn't like, like just personally, if you're saying, oh, God's like this, he's 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 the king, and that's not a shocking statement. I've right. heard it a thousand times. When you say, oh, no, it's actually like Jesus is the one who, he didn't have the right clothes on. Maybe he's yeah. too poor. He gets thrown out to hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Jesus. And you're like, oh, damn, that shocks me. That impacts me. That's that's like, wow, we, we really need to rethink these things because I think on a lot of these parables, he is taking a long way home. Derek? Yeah, he he is. I mean, because there's just so much more depth of meaning when when he does that rather than say, I mean, he could just simply say, oh, God's like this guy. He's going to be an asshole. He's going to. And that's it. (laughs) It's like, no, that's not what he's saying. Yeah, that's not what he's saying.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's what's so fascinating about this parable series we've been doing. And I really have, one of the reasons I've loved it so much, uh, this series, is that it's given us an opportunity to look at some parables. Some of them are parables that we've, you know, I think the average Christian would think, I know this one. I know what this is about. You, I, there's nothing here. There's nothing new here to find. And the fact that we've been able to look at some of these, some very well-known parables and, and notice things and point out things that Frankly, some things I never noticed before that I'm like, this is really awesome. And and I think, again, this is the beauty of the parables that there are layers to them. There is meaning within them that isn't sometimes so obvious. There are other ways to look at it and frame it. And that's what I really appreciated about this series we've done is we've been able to kind of come at these parables from really different directions that I never would have thought of otherwise. And, And hopefully that gives us permission Um, for all the parables we haven't covered yet, because there's lots of parables, you know, next time you're reading a parable, try to flip it around, try to look at it from a different perspective, try to ask yourself, you know, what's really going on here? And is that what is this what it's saying? Or could it be saying something else? Is there? Am I missing something here? Because the chances are, you probably are not seeing something, there is probably something there that isn't quite so on the surface. So.
2: I wonder if I, can, if I could share something else real quick. I, I had to do some graphic art stuff um, for uh, a project that I'm working on. And this PNG file, graphics file, it, it was like when I was trying to upload it, it wouldn't allow me to upload it, even though I, I sized it right and it, everything was good. But what I discovered is that this thing had something called an alpha channel enabled. A really obscure thing, and I had to look it up, you know, but the thing is, is that not every, like, say, media syndication service accepts PNGs with alpha channels. And the alpha channel is sort of like a hidden meta layer. Yeah. <laughs> It's something that's that that there is some other information that can be stored in there that cannot be seen that's layered over the or or under the actual graphic itself. And so when when we look at the parables, we have to first, I I, you know, we have to peel back the layers that we do understand. But I think that there is a calling out to us to try to find the alpha channel in the parable to find to find this hidden this hidden layer. And, and and expose it and determine whether or not that's something we need to process or not.
1: Yeah, I like that. That's a great analogy for those of you tech heads out there who understand what those layers are. I think I know what that is. I think there's a way of sort of, uh, there used to be anyway, a way of sort of like cheating the Google mm-hmm. SEO. Yep. Like, so if you're doing SEO for search terms, that you could embed search terms in the image.
2: In, exactly.
1: Without putting those words on your page. And yep. I think that's why some servers reject that 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 layer because it is a way of cheating the SEO. Yep. Right. Um yeah, really interesting.
2: Hey man, I see you.
1: I speak you man. <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> the Namaste. tech geek in me sees the tech geek in you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I'm as I'm kind of like
0: looking over this parable, I can there's so many layers to this. There's so many like little nuances in this parable. But you know what we talked about um, which parable was it? The Rich Man and Lazarus, I think, how it was kind of set, like the hell happened to be the setting mm-hmm. for this one. But this but one is work. like a twisted fairy tale. Like yeah. once upon a go in a kingdom far away, yeah. there was this corrupt king. And um, Keith, I'm so glad you brought up in your translation that it says the man, because I, I looked that up, but the, it's not an um for the word for a male, it's anthropos. The word for a human being.
2: Mm. There you go. Pretty specific.
0: Yeah. So the king is this an anthropos, and, wow. and a basileus is so a the yeah. human being who is the king. And so um, that would work fit very neatly if we were sort of like um, uh, equating the king with Jesus, yeah. like Jesus is the son of the son of the human being. But it's it makes it even a little more mysterious. I think when the king, this king is, I don't know that the king is corrupt. Um, I don't know, what do you all think? Is the king corrupt? But the king is matching violence to violence. Yep. You know, in this parable, and then making this radical statement of inclusion at the same time.
1: No, I agree. And I think the, um, this is, again, why it's so problematic. Like, it starts to say then, because again, people want it to be, uh, because people have a certain theology, right? Penal substitution. You you have to have a God who's angry and wrathful. Therefore, this parable really appears you know, it's, you want to be able to say that's your position. See, God is the king here, and God is the one whose honor is insulted, and how dare you come and insult the honor of the holy king, and therefore you deserve to be beaten and bound and cast into you know, eternal flames of darkness. So, so that little point, by the way, uh, the reason I said man is because I read it from the David Bentley Hart yeah, Translation yeah. of the New Testament, and he renders that that way. He says, a man, comma, a king. So, it, like, and I thank you for also pulling out the idea that it isn't just a a particular man; it's humanity, right? It's it's a mm. humankind yeah, it's is a, represented in this archetype, human. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I think, man, that sort of undoes that whole way of looking at it. Like, how can you then say, "Oh, this parable is therefore the king is God"? If he, if he's making a huge point about the fact that this really is not God, it's a man. Well, what if it's
2: not a man? If, if, we, if we take Katie's example. A- anthropos now we're talking about humanity yeah i mean we're yeah. talking about a a much broader contra- uh, construct
3: yes well and we and we probably are even if it's specific even if even if jesus had one man in mind i think the broader point would be like well this is kind of how all of them are uh-huh. you know i mean the, it might be one dude in mind but really it's kind of it like all
1: that way yeah um, oh, you know, the they're,
3: they're, <laughs> it's it, King's it, corrupt. corrupt yeah yes. yeah yes. i mean it's kind of, it's kind of like saying yeah i mean on a spectrum our presidents are, are um, they're on a spectrum but and, and some are worse than the, the others some um, are really one, worse than others. number yes. 45 I'm, I'm talking to you <laughs> um but but you can kind of say well you know the whole system's fucked right yeah. and, and and they all kind of play that role you know i I just, I just don't like, th- this is what really bugs me about Christianity and why I, I have such a hard time with it is that the pen the, the, the picture of God, we paint with our interpretations. Yeah. If I just read this, I'm like, I don't need that God. He's got slaves. We've got exactly. slaves. Yeah. He's got retribution. We've got retribution. He comes up. It's almost like, it's almost like it's the mafia. You yeah. know, he's got, he's got the guy there. He's in the wrong robes and he's like, friend. How did you get in here? No one, no one who is about to do some shit to someone says, hey, friend. No. Hey, hey buddy. It's like the bouncer. Hey, buddy, what are you doing here? You know, and it's like, and then he throws him out. I mean, so this is, so God's really just like heaven's bouncer. Yeah. And if you you don't got the right clothes on, he didn't even do anything wrong. Yeah. He just showed showed up right in the, you know, so it's like. Right. "Hey, Hey, guy, what are you doing back here, huh? All right. I
0: can do is imagine Marlon Brando. Like, how dare you show up to my daughter's wedding <laughs> right. without a right clothes
3: on? You right. Know? Well, <laughs> you know, you
2: know, this this guy here, this king, reminds me of Don Chichi in <laughs> Godfather Part <II>, Two. Right? <laughs> the, the guy who Don Corleone actually bumps <laughs> off, you know, yep. to become the Don. And, and Don Chichi was a you know just a dirty son of a bitch like this, and that's what this guy is. Yes. Part. Let
0: me update to Tony Soprano for a. Yeah. 90s watchers. Yeah, yeah. right.
1: Picture like Robert De Niro in Casino or one of those, like, you know, one of those, um, one of those mafia movies, like you said, like, it's like, hey, hey, buddy, come here, come here. Yeah, yeah. Would I look like a clown to you? You know, you disrespect me? You know, it's like, yeah, it's that whole attitude. And it's like, um, a God, the God that Jesus reveals to us, and what would make more sense would be for if it really was supposed to be God, that God would be merciful. God would say, friend,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, maybe you want to go home. And find something appropriate to wear, and then you can come back, right? If that was something that was really important, but it's there's no mercy, there's no opportunity, there's not even a hey, let's sit down, let me talk to you a little bit. I mean, what's going on? Are you okay? Get do you, do you need some help? Can I help you with something? You know, is that are you poor? Are you suffering? Is this why you can't afford? No, it's like, uh, you buddy, hey, I'm talking to you. Come here, yeah, you, yeah, come here, guys, grab him, beat him up, you know, th- and torture him, and let's kill him, like what? What the hell? <laughs> but you know what? Honestly, uh, I, except for this idea, Matt, I think I would have just read this parable as like, I don't really know what that means. It's I don't like what I think it implies. But you know like No one's ever given me any other way of thinking about it before. So I really, really appreciate it. Yeah,
2: this is really a breath of fresh air. I mean, well, this- really.
3: This would have been one where the, we'd have to give the conservatives a, a, a check because they always say, Oh, you don't like those verses. You're just going to cross them out on this one. I'd have been like, Yep. yep. <laughs> this is where I'm like,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: don't like yeah. that one. <laughs> well, if we, if we may all place ourselves in the, uh, and the metaphorical place of Jesus in the parable, too, I'm like, I have people consign me to not, not literally, but, um, you know, tell me I'm being thrown into outer darkness and stuff all the time, right? So this is also part of what it means to be a Jesus follower is to have to be willing to be the one who's ousted. Yes. Right, who is like, we have to be willing to, or, sorry, I'm speaking for me, but like I have to be willing to be the one who is ousted sometimes and um, who's, you know, I, I can kind of see myself in many different roles within the parable uh, in my own journey. As well, and so yeah. I can also see this being um, really helpful for early Christians who you know the Gospel of Matthew was um, is really struggling with the early are we Jewish? are we are we some some sect of Judaism? What are we? So with the sectarianism. So I can also see this being really, really helpful for those early followers like who don't know exactly what they are. They're having trouble labeling themselves. Having trouble being identified within the early collective of Judaism and Gentiles, etc. So right. everyone's kind of throwing each other into outer darkness, yeah. As well, so I can also see this being like, um, we need a different
1: system. Yeah, and and I like also the idea, like Derek, what you were talking about about you know parables and the and the word of the idea of parabolic. You know, a, a parabolic is also a kind of a mirror, right? Yeah. It's a curved mirror that that reflects back and focuses light in a. Actually, a parabolic mirror is intended in a lot of ways to focus light and to create intense heat, right? Um, right. and so in a way, this, if you think of a parable as a mirror, isn't that exactly what it does? If you see God, for example, mm. as this sort of penal, substitutionary, violent, wrathful God, then when you read this parable, how will you see, how will you interpret it? Oh, God must be the angry God. But if you see God in a different way and you see God as this loving, merciful, kind, forgiving, father that jesus reveals then when you read it what's reflected back is oh well then it must be jesus who's the guy who's cast out and the king has to be the one that killed him or crucified him right that 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 fits you know so in other words like the the parables have a way of of kind of reflecting back something right like maybe your first passing your first reading and you're like sort of um initial reflexive reading of it is what you should, is what you should question. (laughs) Then we should go, well, okay, this this is how it seems to me, but is that right? And why do I see it that way? So that's very interesting. I I like that, uh, that way of how almost like the parable reads you.
2: Mm, Love it.
3: Mm. Well, I, I, we, we could keep going. And uh, thank God we have a Patreon because I know we got some bonus stuff that we're going to get to. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to tie some stuff together. But I'm going l- to wait to let Keith t- to tell all our you uh, lovely listeners about our Patreon. But um, in the meantime, I'm going to tell everyone that we have a website, www.heretichappyhour.com. On that website, we have a bookstore from many, many, many of our lovely heretics of the week. They have books. You should read them. They're about 15% off on average. If you go to our bookstore, you're going to save money. You're going to support the show. And uh, it's, a, it's a win-win situation, folks. So it's heretichappyhour.com. Hit up that store. We also got merch. Uh, check out every link that you can click on at that site.
0: And while you're resting your head on your new pillow that you yes, get sir. from the store, you can peruse over to the Facebook group that will change your life <laughs> called Heresy After Hours where we engage every little subatomic particle of bizarre Christian culture and have fun with it. Uh, we're also having really great conversations there. All four of us are active in the group. So come on over to Heresy After Hours. we got over 2,000 people having really, really great conversations. So a, a really easy, free way to access the community. I think That's it's right.
3: 20, 2,300 now.
0: Yeah, 2,300
3: wow. members. And counting. And yep. counting.
1: 2300 nice. happy happy customers and you know what if you cannot get enough of the heretic happy hour podcast and come on who can you need to jump over to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour and become one of our faithful patreon supporters uh, and those of you who already support us on patreon thank you thank you thank you mm, we love you so much and um, patreon is where uh, if you support us Yeah, Patreon is right if you support us. Um, And we have many levels. We have a $2 level um, where you get uh, bonus content, bonus interviews and footage and things like that uh, just for you. Um, We also, at the $10 level, you get PDFs of uh, our different books that we have uh, authored. And $25 level, you get quarterly Zoom calls and things like that, extra bonus, good stuff. And there's even a $100 level for those of you crazy, insane, beautiful people uh, who want to support us at that level. And uh, heck, you could even be heretic of the week. Why not? But go to patreon.com, support us. And again, those of you who do support us, we are so grateful, so thankful. You're also welcome to join our private, very, very private uh, Facebook group that is only for those who support us financially every month on Patreon. And uh, that's the Heretic copy our podcast. But you will only be admitted if you support us on Patreon. So head over there and support your favorite podcast. That's right, and we
2: love you to listen, but we love even more when you engage, so we want you to give us a five-star review on iTunes, and let me tell you what can happen. Because first of all, through the Patreon, we're reversing the Catholic position, and we're reinstating the indulgences. <laughs> That's right. No, just kidding. Uh, but uh, but I'll tell you what if 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 you if you give us a five star rating on iTunes, Keith Giles will give you the same juicy kiss that he gave to our
1: patrons.
4: Mm, that's right. Man,
1: just fly over to El Paso, Texas, and knock on my door, and Come on. there you Come go. Fuck, Are I'm you back, it up and give it one more time, Keith. Yeah. One more time. Ah. Juicy.